Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dance Talks. My guest today is Elizabeth Castellano, and I want to thank you for being here. You've written a book. It's your first book. It's it's called Save What's Left, and it's created quite a stir, uh, even before it's being published, which I believe is probably next week. Uh, yes. And then, I, first of all, I'd like to ask you to tell tell me about some of the the things that have happened before it's even been published that are they're quite extraordinary uh, with book awards and stuff. So tell me about that. Yeah, so it's it's gotten some good reviews from uh, Kirkus Review gave it a starred review. We got People Magazine. It was one of the best books of the summer for People Magazine. It's all been very exciting. It's gotten in a lot of publications, Time Magazine. So it's it's been just uh, like a wild ride, really. Are you on tour now? Uh, it starts next week when the book comes out. The book comes out the 27th. 27th, yep. Uh, it sounds, uh, first of all, tell us a, a little bit about, the. We'll talk, let's talk a little bit about the book. I started reading it in anticipation of talking to you about it, and I read 100 pages uh, in about an hour. I could not put it down. I, I will tell any. But he listening to this, that this is one. It's if Tina Fey wrote a novel in that pursuit before, it's hilariously funny, and uh, it concerns something about um, a home on the East End that's pretty recognizable. But we'll get to that. What made you feel you could write a book like this, and what have you been doing prior to this to become a writer? Well, I've been trying to write for quite a while. So probably I started in. 2013, I started trying to write and wrote a novel about a 22-year-old who couldn't get a job, which was obviously based on real life, which nobody was interested in, which I understand now, being 33, that nobody wants to hear that. So I did odd things. I lived in the city for a while. Then I moved back here to the North Fork. This is where my parents, this is where I grew up. And uh, I just saw how much the North Fork had changed and all the big houses going up, the tourism, everything that was going on. And I dipped my toe a little bit into local politics and went to a few meetings, saw what was happening in my little town. And I just thought this could be a novel. There's something funny about this. There's something absurd about these small town conflicts. And so that's really where the inspiration came from was my hometown. Well, the book is what the book is about is uh, it's it's told in the first person by a woman who's recently divorced and is moving to Eastern Long Island to a a town which uh, isn't one of the of our towns, but is obviously one of our towns. But why didn't you just say where it was? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I wanted it to be uh, because I have been to quite a few beach towns and and different places that I wanted to have a universal appeal. I wanted it to be every beach town that this is happening on the North Fork. It's happening in the Hamptons, but 
It's also happening on the Jersey Shore and Martha's Vineyard. It's happening everywhere. And even in besides beach towns, happens in a lot of small towns that people have to learn how to live with each other. People, even in a condo, people have to learn how to be neighbors, how to live with each other. There's always these sort of meetings. And I think that's uh, very interesting how people live together, how they get along. Let me ask you to read a part of the book because the the, the small town is preposterously dis, uh, uh, dysfunctional. But although in many ways it isn't, but you've, you've taken it to such extremes that it's something you can't quite put down. Okay, so let's see if I can find. I feel like I should just probably start at the beginning just because it gives you a better sense of it. Never buy a beach house. Don't even dream about one. Don't save your money or call real estate agents or pick out a white couch. If you must do something, pray for the people who do own beach houses. Pity them. Certainly don't, under any circumstance, envy them. Maybe it's too late for you. Maybe you've gone ahead and picked up some starfish tchotchkes and turquoise nonsense, and you feel you're in too deep. Well, then let me tell you right now that those warm summer nights you're dreaming about will be spent arguing over parking restrictions and beach access. You won't paint or write or play tennis. You'll be too busy filing code enforcement complaints in the town attorney's office. You'll wake up to the sound of leaf blowers and you'll either spend half your life trying to protect a tree or cut one down. The village will be charming. The view will be beautiful. You'll attend countless meetings about how to keep them that way. Do yourself a favor and put a lawyer on retainer. Don't waste any time about that. You will, without question, not be on speaking terms with at least one of your neighbors in a year's time. And if you're like me, you'll eventually end up in a courthouse conference room in some godforsaken town, nervously clutching a tattered, overflowing cardboard Christmas box with a picture of a dopey snowman and the words, bring on the snow. The box will be filled with letters and emails and blueprints and surveys and photos that began as minor grievances, but are now exhibits in a money laundering scheme. And what you'll think to yourself as you stare at that stupid snowman and search frantically for a tissue to wipe away the sweat, which now routinely rockets from the top of your head is this, why did I ever buy that house? That's quite, you know, it's quite an opener, and uh, it then follows the upon. Basically, um, what you've written is about this person, this person is telling about buying a sight unseen, a beach house that's been recommended to her by a friend. Right. Uh, and it winds up that she comes out and finds that the beach house is next door to a massive construction site of one of the largest residences in the entire United States. Uh, and that la large amounts, at, at various points, various pieces of uh, construction debris fall down on her house. Right. right. And even on her head at various times. Uh, and the neighbors are all full of gossip and um, it's a complete disaster. That That's right. sort of what you've written. Yeah, it's a little Alice in Wonderland. She comes and it's just up is down. She doesn't know what to make of this place and these people. Tell us why it's called Save What's Left. Well, Save What's Left is a big mantra out here. And, you know, it's bumper stickers. And um, so I've heard that, from, you know, my whole life, Save What's Left. And so it's it's obviously a nod to the environmental movement and Save What's Left of what we have, of the natural beauty but it's also save what's left of this woman's marriage, of her sense of self, of who she is now. She's retired. She's newly separated. And um, she has to sort of save what's left of herself and and eventually uh, her marriage. Without uh, actually reading it, just 
remember that part you wrote and tell us about that, if you could, about her reasons why she's blaming herself or blaming him for the, the dissolution of their marriage. There was this one line. I, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be hard for me to find it quickly. But yeah, so she she basically she moves to Kansas City. She marries young. She moves to Kansas City. Her husband is a cardiologist. And they sort of settle. They get into a real routine of, of Kansas City life. And uh, one part in the book is based on real life, is based on my parents, that they went on a honeymoon. And um, the protagonist says, well, let's not take our wedding rings because we'll be swimming. So let's let's keep them here in the apartment in the city. And they go to St. Martin. And they come back from their honeymoon and they see that the door is open. Everything has been robbed. There's dishes in the sink and policeman shows up and she says, I don't understand. You know, they, they took everything from the safe. And the husband is, says, what, how did they get into the safe? And she says, well, I bought the safe for fire. And he says, well, how did they know we'd be gone for the week? Because they lived in the apartment for the week. And, he's, and she says, well, I left a note on the door for the paper boy. You know, we'll be gone for the week in St. Martin. So don't deliver the paper, please. And that is something my mother did. And the whole apartment. <laughs> what about getting into the safe? What was how did how did that work? Oh, right. So the, the key was in the safe because right. she bought it for fire. So she <laughs> wasn't worried about theft. So this is how this very hard to uh, uh listen to this without smiling. And I I think uh, I read. I I I think it's a wonderful book. I think it's going to do very well. And I, there, there's sort of a dysfunctional quality about it that I think is is um, maybe it's more like in the, on the North Fork, but much of it seems to be written about a particular house that was built in Sagaponic over about an eight-year period. That's the second largest uh, residential site. Uh, I guess you could call it that. Is, uh, in terms of square footage, it's over a hundred thousand square feet, wow. uh, and uh, it, uh, it, it uh, maybe you don't even know about this. I don't even thing. know. I don't even know about it. No. Out in the end, it took six or seven years to build, and um, it, it was wound up in the end that uh, the owner was a very rich man who owned a, a, a some kind of a mine in South America, and he was using the money from the mine to build his mansion and had to had to repay some of it or all of it to the stockholders who had sued him. Oh, uh, anyway, that seems to be, uh, as soon as I, I read about how you're in a courtroom about money laundering, right, right. Yeah. what that story is. But the point is that I'm making is that I don't know that it's quite as hysterical with the local people as it is on the North Fork uh, rather than the South Fork. So it plays very well for, um, uh, I guess, uh, summer people who were in the class of people that uh, would have would come out and buy a, a, a little summer place. Um, but it also does work well for almost any small town that is having a big fight about something. Uh, right. And just briefly remind, I just I wanted you to tell talk about it, of course, more than me. But it reminded me of Manlius, New York, where uh, there are two swans that have been in their names. They have names living in a pond, and mm -hmm. some kids came by and took one of them and uh, cooked it and ate it. 
uh, some high college kids from Syracuse University and they're terrible. And they found that, that the swans had had their wings cut so they couldn't fly because of a state law that said you couldn't, you know, you, they wanted to keep swans from being attacked and being attacking to people. And so it just, and it became a petition and the mayor and all meetings and it's been crazy funny. Yeah. That's what I mean, you about in Dan's paper in um, the piping plovers. Didn't somebody move the nest so he could have a private beach? Yeah. Yeah. So I brought some Dan's paper memorabilia. I was looking through old photos and uh, things for the promotion of the book, and I found Roadmap to the North Fork by Dan's oh. paper. It's like a hand drawn map put out. I drew it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, let's see, 1986. Sure. That's what. Yeah. There, there weren't many roads. I started doing that on the South Fork. And there were, like now there's about twice as many roads as I drew on that map. Right. I, I had named a lot of the dotted line roads, which were dirt roads. Because <laughs> they were names. Anyway, that's another story. Where where did you grow up and, and uh, uh, what's your background in, in writing and your, where, where were you educated and stuff? So I grew up in New Suffolk. I went to a little red schoolhouse uh, that has three rooms. At one point, we had nine kids, grades K through six. And that sort of feeds in also to the, the idea in the book that, you know, when you have uh, nine kids in your entire school, you have to learn how to get along. You have to be friends with everybody. Everyone's invited to your birthday party when there's nine kids. And so there, there is that sense in the book too, where it's such a tiny little town that even if we're squabbling about things, we have to be there for each other. We have to. So that was um, my elementary school. Then I went to Rainer Country Day School in uh, Spionk for a couple of years. I went to Southfield High School and then Bates College where I studied theater. And um, and then I moved to New York and I did sort of odd jobs, did a lot of interviewing mostly. <laughs> what kind of jobs were you? Uh... Theater, TV. I mean, I applied for everything. I applied to do uh, be a tour guide at Woodlawn Cemetery. I didn't get the job. <laughs> um, I was a film extra. I still get emails and texts from the film extra asking me, well, do you have dry, you know, fake blood? And can you meet us in a abandoned factory in Bushwick at 3 a.m. and be a zombie? So <laughs> I still get those emails. So I did a little, little of everything and uh, but was always pursuing writing in the last few years, really pursued it seriously and um, and wrote this. And it seemed to be the right idea and to be something that uh, really was turning the traditional beach read on its head. I see so many beach reads so many books about little beach towns and it's always that the beach town is paradise. It's just perfect. It's the perfect, beautiful setting where other conflicts happen. And in my book, it's the beach town is the conflict. That's the, you know, it's at the heart of the story. It's driving the plot. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last few years really is this book and, and working on, I got an agent and, um, have you done uh, any writing or reporting as a journalist or anything? Of, of, of... I, I had a column when I was in high school in the Suffolk Times that was sort of a similar humor column. And um, yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, I I didn't do. I, I sort of figured I would end up in newspapers, but went down the more uh, the novel writing path. So have you moved back to uh, the East End or is this uh, or not? 
I'm here now temporarily while the book tour is going on. It's helpful to be here, but this is my parents' house. And so this is my uh, home base for the summer while I'm doing all the promotion. And then I'll have to see. Where have you lived? Uh, you've been in the city? I've been in the city. I was on the Upper West Side, which I like a lot. But I don't know. I feel like uh, maybe a change, maybe somewhere new. I'm not sure. I always loved San Francisco. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where to go. I have to figure it out. I'm taking suggestions. <laughs> well, my suggestion to you would be that you, with this book, you apply to be a, a, a writer for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I wish. It's one of my favorite. Loved it. Big fan, Saturday Night Live. And that's what I used to do. I used to hang out at NBC and try and get a job there. What's your What's your favorite passage in the book you've written, this book? I mean, there's a whole passage about how rule breaker, uh, beach towns are attract rule breakers. Uh, there are a lot of rules in beach towns because beach towns attract rule breakers and that, you know, you can sit on the beach and be in violation of 15 laws, but nothing's going to happen to you. You know, you can get slapped with a thousand dollar fine, but you'd be the first that only in a beach town, you'd sort of have to be reminded to wear shoes and a shirt in a store. <laughs> it's <laughs> people forget how to behave when they come here. They'll just go. They'll pick flowers off people's property. They'll just start snipping from. Uh, we had people just come and sit down at our table in the backyard and have a picnic. Just, uh, you know, <laughs> people and they wouldn't do it in like a cul-de-sac in suburbia. You know, the, but here, but in a beach town, people really, there's, there's a lot of signs about basic, <laughs> basic rules. Um, are, 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 are you writing or thinking about writing any an, another book? I have a second book um, that I'm working on and I'm writing a, you know, the protagonist in this book is 60. So that's, you know, I'm writing a younger protagonist now and I'm actually finding it more challenging than writing the 60 year old. I guess I'm 60 at heart. So so it's set partially in Ireland, sort of a, a girl going through a rough, rough patch, but in the same in the same tone as this book. Well, I wish you luck with that and, and particularly with this one. Um, and thank you for being on the podcast. And uh, I will look forward to uh, you're you're going to have a reading at the Riverhead Library on June 28. Uh, right. We're going to try and get this out in the paper before then, but certainly online before then. Okay, great. And I have uh, Bookhampton. I'll be at Bookhampton. When is Bookhampton? In July 7th, I think it's at 5, 5 p.m. East Hampton? Yep. Thanks for being here. And yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate your book very much. Uh, thanks so much. It means a lot to me.